Welcome to part two of the Nick Yaris story on wrongful conviction. We've already heard about Nick's surviving sexual assault, his misspent young adulthood, the lie that turned the authorities hell-bent on his conviction, gladiator Sundays, suicides, torture, and then, with a court date that could have led to his freedom in sight, he unintentionally finds himself escaping from death row, only to turn himself in, instead of committing suicide by shark. I mean, seriously, what the actual fuck? And we're still just halfway. We pick up with Nick again on death row in Florida, where he was awaiting transfer back to Pennsylvania, and where he ran into Jesse Tefero, who was the life partner and father of the children of Sonny Jacobs, who you may remember was one of the most extraordinary episodes of Wrongful Conviction. I think it was season one, episode four. Jesse, who ends up crazy enough on death row in Florida with Nick, was later executed in a botched execution where the electric chair quote-unquote malfunctioned and his head caught fire. It's a gruesome, gruesome story, and even more so because he was an actually innocent man. And get ready for this. At the same time, Nick, on death row again in Florida, was sharing that pod with one of the most notorious inmates in the history of America, Ted Bundy. Fasten your seatbelts for part two of Nick Yaris on Wrongful Conviction. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. I knew the beating that was waiting on me. I knew the torture that was waiting on me. And I turned myself in and I went back to Pennsylvania and I faced the music because I told a lie on Mrs. Craig. Jason, it's never stopped bothering me, man. I told a lie to get out of a cop's lie. 
that's only half the story. I told a lie about a woman's murder, man, and shamed her family, disrespected mine. I gotta live with that, man. So, I decided to go back. But first I had to sit in friggin' Florida for eight months down there with Ted Bundy. On Florida's death row, and I meet, of all people, Jesse Trefero, an innocent man. Jesse was married to a very good friend of mine now called Sonny Jacobs, and she lives over in Ireland with Peter Pringle, her partner, who was also sentenced to death. And they got the Sonny Foundation where they help people who got out of prison. And I didn't know any of this. All I knew is this very attractive, sweet-hearted Buddhist man told me, hey, man, take me back to Pennsylvania with me. These crazy bastards are trying to kill me, man. I said, Jesse, what happened? He said, man, I pick up a hitchhiker. He kills a cop. They put me and my wife on death row. But we didn't kill nobody. That stuck with me, you know? So I go back to Pennsylvania after eight months of Florida. And they added 35 years to my sentence in the state of Florida for the escape and related charges. And I knew I was done. I had 105 years. There was no such thing as DNA testing. I ruined my appeals with absconding. You know the law, Jason. If you run, you forfeit your appeals. You're done. So I was sitting there in 1988 and... I had just met a woman who told me that I had a fascinating mind and she wanted to spend time talking to me. And I felt absolutely horrible about that. And then I get a hand in a newspaper that's almost thrown away. And the next thing I know, I'm the very first man in history to seek DNA testing from death row in March of 1988. I filed my first petition. And that historic event led me to watch 110 men get set free before me. I watched them all, Gary Dotson. I watched all these dudes. I watched Kurt Bloodworth go out and be the first death row prisoner exonerated, but he filed years after I did. I had to watch them all go home and walk free, and none of them spoke beautifully. And I felt like, Man, if I ever get my chance, I'm going to do justice to this man. And then meanwhile, I meet a man who's innocent named Walter Ogrod. You see, I've been through so much at this point, 20 years of prison. I'm sick with hepatitis C. All the DNA evidence has either been destroyed or missing or spilled in transit. I have no hope left. And I get moved to Green County Supermax Prison. And the staff there knew me from years ago from Huntington and knew I was cool. So they cut me a break and they let me become a block worker for a month where I could come out of my cell and sweep up. And I meet this prisoner named Walter Ogrod. And he tries to speak to me. But Walter's been convicted of putting a little girl in a TV box and leaving her on the street corner in Philadelphia, and I don't want no shit like that bothering me. I just lost everything. The wife that I met just before the DNA testing began walked out on me. I lost all the DNA evidence. I don't want no trouble. And there's these two men in the prison tormenting him, Hackett and Spence. They broke into Walter's house and they tried to kill his brother and they 
murdered his sister-in-law-to-be. But I didn't care. I had enough troubles of my own, you know. But when I went back in my cell and I thought about how I treated Walter, I thought, that's it, Nick, why get out? You got no humanity. The very next day, I went over to Walter and I began. At first, I began writing letters to his lawyer. I would decipher Walter's efforts to write a letter in minutiae. An entire 8 by 11 page would be filled with micro lines of writing, not just single line. I mean, he would compress as many possible words into one page in desperation to get information out. I would take that apart and write to his lawyers as best that I could and help. I told Hackett and Spence that if they kept bothering water, that I'd smash their face and that they had time to just think about one thing. I wasn't no fucking joke. And if they bothered my friend again, I was going to hurt him. I told the rest of the dudes on death row, I didn't care what they thought. I was standing up for water. A man named Tom Lowenstein, whose father had been murdered. He was a journalist from Louisiana who contacted me and wanted to write a book about my story and said it was incredible. I said, Tom, tell Walter's story. Leave me alone. This man needs the help more than me. No one on death row does things like that, but I believe so much in this man that it started to make me feel good about it. In the past, I'd already done legal work and helped get other prisoners off death row. I wrote to their mothers. In fact, the administration told me one of the things that made me the most dangerous prisoner they ever dealt with is so many men cared about me that whenever a guards or anything did stuff to me, they would all go on hunger protests and stuff like that. I said, well, I can't help it that I'm a caring person. I told my mom I would lose that humanity. So while I'm trying to get water help, I keep feeling weaker and weaker, Jay. Something's wrong inside, man. And in 2002, my brother died in August. And I knew over the past seven months after being diagnosed with hepatitis C that I was in bad condition. But I had to hold off. My parents were burying their youngest child. So I couldn't ask to be executed then when I was really suffering. So I waited, you know, and the whole precipice of it all was I lost my eyesight for three days one time because of the medical toxins that they were giving me to fight the infection, pumping my body full of interferon and riviveron. Well, I had to go tell Walter that I couldn't help him no more and it broke his heart. But I told him before I told anybody else that I was going to be asking to be executed for a crime that I didn't commit. Rather than just die like Dale Carter did. There was a dude convicted of rape and murder on my pod in Greene County Prison. And in 2001, he died of an impacted bowel from the onset of hepatitis C while nurses stood in front of his cell knowing he was convicted of raping and murdering a woman, and they laughed at him suffering. And I knew that's what my fate was. They were going to taunt me. They were going to make me miserable, 
and they were going to laugh in my face at my death. And I said, no, 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 no. In fact, I decided I was going to fulfill my efforts. The only reason I ever learned how to speak with any modicum of decency was after the escape when they beat my face and broke my teeth and I couldn't look at myself without flinching. So I took all of the photographs off my wall and I put one of myself up as a 17-year-old boy and I began to speak politely to this person. Every day, I quietly began to speak to this man, knowing he was the only one going to get me out of here. And that transitioned into reading beautiful literature to this photograph. It was such an empowerment to read beautiful passages from Gibran as I stood before my own photograph. Or even better, I practiced my deaf speech over and over, beautifully. I had it down. You see, the only thing I really feared was that on the day that they executed me, I would mess it up, that I wouldn't have the acumen, the poise to say the lovely thing that I had to say. It was so important to me to talk and speak beautifully for myself that I rehearsed this beautiful death speech, forgiving them for taking my life. You remember the speech? Always. It's a reference to the neutrino and how the neutrino passes through the earth unnoticed by us all, but this neutrino is unstoppable. It emanates from the earth and passes through whatever surface it meets, regardless of density, strength, power, it doesn't matter. And I was like a neutrino passing through their lives. And just like that neutrino that they allow to pass through in ignorance, so too were they ignorant of the loving, caring person that I made myself into be and that I forgave them for killing me. I apologized for embarrassing my family and I accepted my fate. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. 
Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Uh Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to get into the exoneration because, you know, the miracle that awaited you, that you had uh, just almost given up hope of ever having, which there would be very good reason that somebody in your situation would give up hope and that you might have ended up either executed or having taken your own life like so many other people did that you knew, is that in 2003, fast forwarding, God, this is uh, 22 years since the original date, right? Yeah. Um, In 2003, a doctor named Edward Blake tested the gloves, fingernail scrapings, and sperm that was found on and inside of the victim, uh, Mrs. Craig. And it it was determined at that time that all of the DNA that was found was from the same person. And on July 2nd of 2003, you were excluded as the source of any of that biological material. And on September 3rd, so this is now... Another two months and a day later, your conviction was vacated by the court. You became, at that time, Nick, the 140th 
DNA exoneration in America and the 13th from death row. And I'm getting the chills when I, as I say that. So, I mean, we have to talk about that, right? What was that like? You I know, I wish I could tell you it was something really big, but the truth is I was still in prison until January 2004. The federal court gave Pennsylvania the right to retry me as they would. And they drug it out and they drug it out and it kept going on. So in the end, they botched my release after a week of telling me I was going home. On Monday, they came and told me, January 11th, you're going home, Nick. Pack your stuff. We'll be back for you in an hour. They didn't come back. On what day was that? January 11th. January 11th, 2004, you're going home, pack your stuff, you're getting out of here. The whole argument was, do we send him back to Florida? Do we let him go? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? So wait, you'd already been exonerated. So why in the world did you have to go back to Florida? It was a possibility that they would have to take me back to Florida and release me there because Florida still had that 35-year sentence on me. So Pennsylvania had, of course, dropped all the charges against me, but they were in the process of negotiating with Florida at which time my lawyer filed an application to have my sentence reduced because I was sentenced in Florida only because I was an escapee and convicted of murder. Everybody vacated their sentences. Everything's ready, but I'm dragging on. The whole time I'm sitting in a mental cell. They took me out of prison and put me into a restricted housing unit meant for mentally impaired prisoners because they rationalized that because of all the things that they'd done to me, I was going to kill one of them as soon as my door opened up. And I swear to God, that's what they told me to my face. So meanwhile, I'm waiting. January 11th, they tell me I'm going home. January 12th, they told me the same thing. On January 13th, I was shown a photograph of my mother in the Delaware County newspaper holding up a photograph of me from the previous day saying, where's my son? He was supposed to be released. On January 14th, that photograph was very widely used in the Philadelphia area because January 15th, I was told I was going home, but at 5 p.m. that night, they said it was too late. On January 16th, 2004, I packed up my belongings, said goodbye to everybody, and I got in a van and I drove out of the prison only to be stopped at the second barrier and told we made a mistake. You have to go back. It was the testing moment of testing moments in my life. And I handled it with grace because I knew this was important. They put me back into prison and they said, what can we do for you? This has nothing to do with this. We just simply have to get some paperwork from Florida done and we will let you go. I said, how long? They said, what do you mean? I said, well, my parents are across the street with all the assembled press. How long do you think they're going to stand out there in the snow? He said, no, 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 no. We told your parents. They're well aware of the situation. They're not put off by this. They understand there's a lawyer. This is crazy. Elliot Shirker, attorney at law, put a lawyer on a plane in Fort Lauderdale and flew to Tallahassee, Florida to have my parole papers stamped so I could be released by one o'clock that day. That's the power of having my wonderful attorney, Peter Goldberger, have that kind of influence over friendships. Because he told people, look, my client's innocent, but I need some help. So Elliot Shirker, on his own dime, sends a lawyer by plane to the state capitol, faxes the paperwork over, and at one o'clock, they let me out. 
The crazy thing is they dropped all the charges. I was allowed to have my conviction vacated. And then the state attorney appealed it and got it reinstated while I was in France speaking before the Ligue de Nationale and told that if I go back to Florida, that I can voluntarily resume my 35-year sentence there if I so choose. So I guess it's fair to say you won't be going to Florida anytime soon. Uh, I don't think I'm going to go to Florida and commit any crimes, but I have been there to thank Elliot Shirker. I went down there to thank that lawyer to help me get free. And by the way, Jeff, I think you're an amazing man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But I had this amazing gift given to me by this Baptist preacher who was a sergeant in the prison. And he came in and he spent these two hours with me. And I'm telling you, man, he made every officer on shift come and shake my hand. Dudes were coming up to me and saying the same thing. It's a hard job. Sorry, sometimes we have to hurt men. But you're a good man. Nick, I respect you. Thank you for helping other prisoners when they were down. I'm like, fuck, I'm growing. Like, this is building me up so much, Jason, that when I walked out of that prison and got into the arms of my father, I knew I didn't have a goddamn thing to say. So I walked up to the assembled media. I said, Walter Ograd and Ernie Simmons are two men in the prison behind me. Can someone send some help for them? Thank you and goodbye. I knew everybody wouldn't listen to me. I knew that they would think I was crazy if I went on this big rant or anything. I did the honorable thing. I said we need a moratorium on the death penalty and I got some friends here I'm going to help. They didn't think I was serious. Only 10 months after my release... When I got set free, I had no medical help, nothing. I had to heal myself with my parents' help. Ten months later, I'm in London speaking in Parliament, and Kofi Annan listens to me speak, walks up to me and said, Young man, you are one of the finest speakers I've ever heard in my life. Keep going. Hmm. That was my empowerment when I realized that this education I gave myself, because I went well past those five first books. I went crazy. I read all of the world's religions so that I could have respect for everyone's beliefs. I went out of my way to read and read and read every possible thing about history and our arts and sciences so I could be alive to the world. What was the point if I got out? So I even spent six years of my life studying psychology so I could understand the principles of what I would face. I am a human experiment of endurance. And for some magical reason, I'm built for it. I took this notion that I am everything I believed about myself while there. And I've expounded upon it now to teaching people about neuroplasticity healing, the receptacle and beautiful feeding frenzy your brain gets from being polite. You having a meticulous, polite behavior is your own healing. Your brain absorbs all of this neuron reciprocal healing from being nice. I didn't understand any of this. All I knew is that on the second day of my freedom, I had to go to the hospital to pick my brother up who got hit by a car because that's an alcoholic crossing the road. He tended to get hit by cars. But my mother sat me down and she said, Nikki, do me a favor. Please listen to what I'm about to say to you. I need you to be a polite man. 
so that when you meet people, you say, yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, because I want you to show respect for this family for what we've gone through. Because I got something to tell you, Nick. For you to get out of prison and not be a nice man is a waste of every one of my prayers and tears. Don't you dare let me down. Wow. I didn't know this is the basis of neuroplasticity healing. If you can think about this, your brain, when you go out and light up and smile, has receptacles in it. For you to go out and be gregariously nice and polite, your brain is actually erasing the PTSD in your brain. How is it that for the last hour or so, I've been able to sit here and talk about things that most people will be crushed by? And yet, Jason knows this. I'm probably the happiest I've been in my life in the 15 years of my freedom. So exponentially, I've been able to take on this notion that I'm an athlete. And as an athlete in training in neuroplasticity healing, I am like an Olympian. I have been doing this so well for so long with such a polite manner. I am not affected by the stresses that deteriorate our brains, cause heart attacks, stress, divorce. I don't have a need for substance abuse because I don't have the fissure within me that needs to be masked. I actually go around and I teach people in the corporate world how to empower themselves with kindness for the workforce to be the utmost beautiful boss. I go around and teach students about how their politeness makes them a better student, able to absorb more from their own self-respect. I go around and I teach people how to handle fucked up shit. Sorry for the language, but since I did Joe Rogan's podcast, over a thousand people came to me and promised me they would no longer be abusive and killing themselves. A thousand, man. Like dudes with the most brokenhearted, damaged lives. They come to me and they say, if you're doing what you're doing and you're happy because of it, I'm going to do this. Just listening to you talk, I swear to God, changed my whole perspective. That too is why I'm doing this, Jason. I listened to your podcast. And the one thing that I really wanted to tell you, I was so glad that you were alive to caring about other species, not just humans. We can all feel that empathy and we all try for that. But when I saw that you really likened it to your own happiness, you're well on your way to having neuroplasticity healing in your life. Whatever scars you've carried, you've already mastered them. You're now this fountain of foundation and hope for other people. You are now able to have a perspective that allows you freedom, just like me. But dude, the way you go about it has been so different. This is why I told you, you didn't have the earth dropped on your head a couple of times to make you do this. And for you to go out and make these efforts with Brandon Dessy or all these other people, man, I'm like, why? Why is this? Then I get it. You're already tuned in to your own healing. You know what the reward system in you is and why it's genuine to you. You're not doing this to be famous, Jason. I see the effort you made this week alone. And half the shit no one's even going to know, are they? But inside your brain is feeding off this man. Just like me, it's profoundly making you a lovely person, someone I've learned to really respect. 
you got the same message as me, but we came about it at different angles, brother. And I'm here to just tell you, that's all I want. I want to go around and teach the kindness approach. I want to go to schools and get students to be amazing people. I want to have a purposeful life. Like you, I just want to do good. I don't care where I came from. Thank you for the kind words. Um, it's really humbling to hear those coming from you. I recognize, you know, in myself, you know, I call it selfish altruism because I know that I feel um, really sort of tuned in or however you would say it. You know, when I'm able to bring some hope to a hopeless place, to a person who needs it, sometimes even able to effectuate real change, bring somebody home, maybe help them uh, after they get out. Uh, it's, a, it's an unbelievably rewarding thing. You know, it's funny when I meet uh, somebody, a stranger, and we're talking wherever it might be, and they hear me talk, what do you do? I talk about my living, how I make a living, this and that. And then they say, well, but I also work on this. Other. And they, you know, after a few minutes, they say, you know, your voice changed. Like you become so much more animated when you talk about this other work that this you is do. Your, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think I've, yeah, you're absolutely right. We came, to, and you know, it's, I had this uh, revelation Nick, um, it was about a couple of years ago. I was leaving Buckingham Correctional in uh, Virginia somewhere, and it was about an hour and 40 minutes from Richmond. You know, it's a maximum security prison, and I was visiting a couple of innocent guys there, uh, Yen Zuring and Tim Wright with the legal team and trying to, you know, help them uh, in any way that I could. I spent three very focused hours really you know, dialed in. Of course, there's no phones in there. There's no distractions. And, and also, I, it, it's when I feel most useful. So I walked out. It was maybe late winter, early spring. And I walked out of this prison uh, through the yard and then out the doors. And it was about 40 degrees and sort of sleet a little bit outside. The weather wasn't very nice at all. And I had this momentary revelation and I said wow there's no place I'd rather be and nothing I'd rather be doing you know I'm no saint you know so I don't want to make it sound like that but I, and I wish for everyone that you find uh, something that gets you to that place it's so many people doing such amazing things in the world in so many different areas you know there's people that make my efforts look like a drop in the ocean but I'm grateful to be a part of the movement and to be able to make a difference whenever I can and and to be able to spend time with people like you honestly is the great reward Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month no matter what kind of entertainment you love addicted to true crime catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central crave adventure explore Asian action movies on Hayah Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. 
find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is what I I think a lot of people don't really get. You throw out so much love and effort for everyone else. Give it to you. Give it to you as well. And when you do, it shines. I I mean this. You see, I I always carry my scars as a, um, a noble approach to my toll in life that I have to pay. And one of the tolls I'll never stop paying for is to fight for Mrs. Craig. When I got out, I was in a documentary called After Innocence with Phil Donahue and Barry Sheck and all them. And they filmed me going to the courthouse, fighting to get the DNA to catch a killer. You know what I mean? I recognize my wrong. So if I'm willing to do that effort like that for my wrongs, I should have some of that effort for my right. We're not willing to do that without that ego blast bothering us about it. And that's wrong. My mother told me, when you go somewhere and you want to show people 
that you show respect for yourself, dress up nicely. Make yourself feel good. Show that you care about yourself because that is a good example for when you go before someone to show them respect. You've first shown yourself enough care, enough wisdom to know that you care about yourself. And the reason that we should care about ourselves in this way is people who trust us and rely on us need us to know we're not just loving and strong for them, but for ourselves. It's that weakness about us that makes people apprehensive that will he capitulate, will he give up? And we can't allow that. So I work very hard to find that perspective that if I can love myself to craft a deaf speech, when I yet know, just like today, I'm living under a deaf sentence every day anyway. I don't know when it's going to be. Jason, the city's so chaotic, me and you could get taken out by a taxi cab, a bicyclist. We could die of choking on a pretzel. These are all realities today, right? After all you've been through, are you scared of a pretzel? Yeah, man. Hey, <laughs> you joke, but I, I used to have a phobia because I watched a man choke to death in a prison cell because the guards thought he was tricking them and oh, let him die. That's really so cool. there you go. So, But the truth is that I realize that if every day I'm living with a death sentence, that I should not waste this last day with anger and stupid resentment. I have a really unique situation in which I have now a major motion picture being made about my life. Uh, I'm on pins and needles this week because a very famous actor and his agent have been watching the latest work of my director. And it's a possibility this lovely man would say yes to playing me as the lead role. And I know that would change things. I've recently gone through a spate of jobs trying to find any kind of employment in the area I am. I'm actually currently unemployed. And I recognize that it doesn't matter. I know myself to know I have talent and ability and I'll bounce back. I've been trying to develop a television show based on what's happening now with my friend Walter, who I mentioned. You see, one of the great pleasures of having come here to meet you is yesterday at the San Francisco airport, the Philadelphia district attorney's office called me personally. And the man that I spoke to told me he was very proud of me for the efforts I made. And it was one of the reasons he joined a district attorney's integrity unit. It touched me that he couldn't break protocol and tell me information about my friend Walter's case and the hearing that's coming up next month. But he wanted me to know that there's good people in that office willing to do the right thing and that I shouldn't be worried. And I told him the only reason I rang was because I didn't want to embarrass his office by going on this podcast and giving out wrong information and lamenting their efforts when I don't know. So I do know my friend has the DNA evidence back. It does not match him. I can't say more than that. I'm precluded from saying anything, but they did do DNA evidence in Walter Ograd's case, and they're now waiting for his hearing next month, and he should be released. Amen. Man. Um, and we'll be there for him with the support that he needs when he gets out. Anybody wishing to know about Walter Ograd, you can look up Death Row Stories Season 3, Episode 4. I gave up my opportunity to be on this show so that they could tell his story. Jigsaw Productions did a great work, and that was what led to the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office investigating Walter's case. That's uh, Death Row Stories Season 3, Episode 4. It's Walter Ograd, O-G-R-O-D. 
please do check it out. And he's going to need a lot of support when he gets out. And we'll be publishing that information on the Wrongful Conviction website. And I'll be putting it on my social media, of course. It's Jason Flom. Nick, if for people who are listening now, and uh, you've had a remarkable uh, journey since you've been out. You had the one of the most listened to episodes ever of the Joe Rogan podcast. I think your episode will be one of the most listened to uh, of this podcast. You, for people who want to uh, get in touch with you to book you for doing speaking gigs or come and give a, a teaching or whatever. Usually social media works best. Facebook page. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Nick Yaris. That's Nick, Y-A-R-R-I-S. That's Nick Yaris, Y-A-R-R-I-S. And of course, it's N-I-C-K. Right. I also have nickyaris.org, my website. And I have a really sincere platform. I try and go around and talk to either university students, school students, or I do a corporate And I try and focus on two things, either the neuroplasticity, but I also cover media And I also cover one of the the best fields of all, which is our penology and how we need to work to change our penology. And one of the great passions that I have personally is I want to see a change for prison officers. They have the highest mortality rates, the highest divorce rates, the highest rates of alcohol abuse in our services. Imagine, Jason, all the horrors these men have to live with and then they see me go free. One of the heartbreaking things is a man who stomped me, and I mean stomped the shit out of me for escaping, wrote me an email. Said, Dear Mr. Yaris, I got your email from one of your lawyers. In 1987, I beat the shit out of you for escaping from death row, and I thought you were a scumbag piece of shit. And I have to live with that. And I'm sorry. So I want to see that prison officers are giving at least a two-year course in psychology so they don't become abusive and that they don't kill themselves because everything that I got good came from that officer. He said, boy, go in that cell. I promise you, if you read these books, you won't be angry. I can't stop thinking about that gift. I watched 11 men kill themselves. I watched as they burned the buildings around me during the 1989 riot. I had a prison officer try to use different serial killers to kill me over a three-year period. I've endured so many horrors. I think I'm going to leave them in prison and take the good home with me. Wow. That's, um, that's it in a nutshell, isn't it? And, um, yeah, and I'm I'm with you. I think that uh, we need to do a much better job uh, training the people who are there to protect, rehabilitate, and, uh, of course, monitor the people who are in our prison system. Of course, we need to decarcerate this nation, 2.3 million. We, we are not the most evil people in the world. We don't our need... Our fourth largest industry is penology. Right. It's a That's crazy. 80-something billion dollar industry. And the fact is that obviously there's some correction officers who do very, very bad things. There's also a lot of them that do 90% very good things. 90% are good men and women. Let's give it up. Like, there's so many good men and women. And I love you for doing Look, if you left prison today as a prison officer and you dealt with the insanity of a man who's mentally ill or somebody did something to you, please don't bring it home. I left everything in prison. Please do the same thing. I just wanted to say, too, that uh, 
you know, the fact that our prison conditions are so terrible affects the men and women who are there, very nobly serving uh, in a very difficult environment. That doesn't mean that they should be subjected to prisons that don't have air conditioning alongside the prisoners, that they should be subjected to mold that we have in so many prisons now as a major scandals in Florida and other places. The mold affects everybody that you works remember there. Remember the TB? I remember at one point tuberculosis was in 70% of prisons. That's not made up. Like they had 70% infection rates in a lot of these county jails because of overcrowding. So as, so as a country, we need to do a much better True. job. It's, Absolutely. This is, this is America. It's 2019. Come on, everybody. Well, Nick, uh, all I can say is it's been an extraordinary experience for me getting to spend this time with you. Uh, we're going to go to dinner later. I hope you'll come to dinner with Absolutely. me. Absolutely. We'll... I want chicken parmesan. <laughs> you want chicken parm, that's chicken what you'll get. I'm a vegan. I'll get you whatever you want. I know, man. But that's, again, you're an amazing man. You're, you're a hero to me and so many other people. I'm glad you're here. We need more like you, and we need more of you. I'll and bring so... more with me, and I promise you this, Jason. For your efforts, I won't let you down. Now that we've made a bond, I promise you, A, I won't capitulate, I won't kill myself, I won't quit, and I'll always be a respectful, kind, and dignified person as best that I'm able to, so that you're never embarrassed by me. I mean that, because I think a lot of us forget. You and I come together on this principled effort, but for me to then forget that, it would be a terrible loss. So I tell everyone, if you believe in me and you've given me your time, I promise you, no one will ever work harder to show gratitude. And dude, I ain't going to let you down. I ain't going to quit. I'm going to be there like you and just ride this out, man. I had this fascinating thing happen to me. When I first got out, I came here to New York City and I was interviewed by Jennifer Garnerman of The Village Voice. At the conclusion of our interview, like we're doing now, she put down her pen and she said, Nick, you do know you're living one of the greatest stories ever. Hmm. And I leaned over to the table to her. I said, it's just begun. Hmm. And it's true. In the 15 years of my freedom, things have been a rocket ride, Jay. But I've held on to the principles that, A, I had no business getting out if I wasn't looking for good. And B, as long as I'm willing to believe in the good of others, I think I'm going to find people like you waiting. And thank you for letting me earn your respect. That matters to me, man. Amen, brother. Um, thank you again, uh, Nick Yaris. Uh, you can find him at, uh, what's the social Nick media? NickYaris.org or Nick Yaris on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Reach out to Nick. Follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Bring him in for a speech. You've heard the man's voice now. It's always different. It's always amazing. So listeners to the show know that this is the time when I usually go to closing arguments and just leave my mic off and leave yours on. But you have already dropped so many incredible pearls of wisdom and so many beautiful sayings. I'm just going to go home and have a good cry and then get energized and go out and make as much of a change as I possibly can. And I'm going to do it in your name. So thank you. Fucking badass, boy. Badass. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This has been a wild ride for me, and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thank you for listening to Wrongful Conviction. We'll see you next week. Don't forget to give us a fantastic review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. 
And I'm a proud donor to the Innocence Project, and I really hope you'll join me in supporting this very important cause and helping to prevent future wrongful convictions. Go to innocenceproject.org to learn how to donate and get involved. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall and Kevin Wardis. The music in the show is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer, Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction and on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast. Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number 1. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.